Um, all right. All right, we're gonna keep going. Yay. We're gonna keep going into act four of four. So, so act four, so that scene happened at this autumn human day and then act four continues on through this entire winter and into spring and it basically covers their relationship together. They're like a couple, I guess. And it's really strange because setting aside the admittedly huge factor that she is still his hostage, they're otherwise having a very nice relationship. So they, they have all these things in common and their entire lives they've both been these strange, kooky, oddball, problem child weirdos and they've been so lonely their whole lives. And then furthermore, like she might be his prisoner, but she's not his subject. Like she doesn't report to him. She's the only person that he ever gets to talk to who is not one of his subjects, not a citizen of this realm. And so they are able to like talk on the same level in a way that they don't have with anyone else. So they're having a pretty nice relationship, but there still are these a number of awkward boundaries that still exist in their relationship. So one of which is that she still does not eat the food. And at this point, it's, it's more a precaution or a habit than anything. Like she'll eat it in its wild form, but, and they just don't talk about it anymore. It's just like, oh, you know, eccentric mod with her dietary preferences. Like it, it's <laughs> just a thing, but it, it is this like slightly sad and awkward thing because it's kind of symbolic of the fact that she isn't 100% trusting him and trusting these people. And on his end, they never actually have intercourse. Like they do other activities, but he does not want to get her pregnant, which is understandable because again, this credible threat goes completely out the window if she is pregnant with his child. Like they're already playing a very dangerous game with this like illicit relationship that they're having. So that's another sort of awkward boundary that they've got. And, and then Maud gets this idea that takes hold and just won't go away, which is that maybe things don't have to be this way. Like this whole hostage situation, may, maybe, maybe it's not necessary. Like maybe they could do this whole thing above board. Like what if, she, what if she went back and she talked to her family? Like she explained to them the truth about this kingdom and that it used to be a kingdom and and like, you know, the, the border has been quiet this entire time. They don't have any particular incentive to come invade the forest. So maybe she could go back and everything would still be okay. And, and maybe if she told them all the stuff that she's learned, it would break the illusion. Like she's learned so much about them and maybe it would actually break that illusion and then normal diplomacy could resume, etc. And it's worth pointing out that if it weren't for this curse and this illusion, like she and Rowan would be considered a pretty reasonable match for each other. Rowan is pretty skeptical because, so there's this ongoing tension throughout the story with Rowan, which is essentially, does he do things the human way or the fairy way? And the human way is all about logic and rationality and utilitarianism. And the fairy way is all about instinct and feelings and doing what seems right. And so far, Rowan has tried really hard to do what dad would do, to listen to his human side. 
Um, and again, he doesn't know that he's a fairy, but he still has this dual nature within himself. Like all the stuff that he's done with Maud is the major exception to that, this like imprudent thing that he's doing. And meanwhile, his instincts are screaming at him that he needs to let her go. And he's in love and he knows that they won't ever really be a proper couple until he's set her free. And so she's working on him and working on him all through winter. And finally, finally, he gives in to that fairy instinct. And he agrees. He agrees to let her go. And it's this really fraught decision for him. And as soon as she, they, they say their goodbyes at the gate, and then she goes off. And as soon as she leaves, he's like, I, I hope I did the right thing. He doesn't know if he did. So she rocks up to her kingdom after being missing. By this point, she's been missing for like a year. And she shows up and she's like, hi. And they're like, oh, oh my god, you're back. How did, you, how did you escape? And she's like, I didn't escape, they let me go. And they're like, that monster let you go? And, and she's like, he's, he's not a monster, he's, he's a human. In fact, they're all humans. Like, all these animals, they were cursed. And the, there were this kingdom, and we used, to, we used to know them, we used to trade with them, and they have like, you know, and she's just like reciting all of her kingdom facts at them. And, and they look at her, and they're like, you poor child, you've, you've been through such an ordeal. Please come home, it's, it's all over now. Everything's gonna be okay, you're safe now. She's like, the, the, the thing? And they're like, don't worry, this is very normal. You're, you're in shock, like, come on, like, just come home, rest, we've got you now. So basically it didn't work. And she now, in the harsh light of day, in her old bedroom, in her old castle, surrounded by like normal, non-talking animals, and like no hint of magic, she starts to doubt her own experience. And she's being gaslit to hell about all her memories. She's being made to feel crazy and she honestly is not sure anymore. Like maybe, maybe she is under some sort of illusion. Like she thinks she loves him, but like she kind of ate his food. Like all that stuff happened after she ate his food and she doesn't know. And there's this thing where there are these like two parallel narratives for the same events and she doesn't know which one to subscribe to, and she's super torn. And in the end, there's no tiebreaker. She just has to choose. She just has to choose which truth to believe in. And it takes a while, but finally she chooses to, you know what, I, I choose to believe myself. I choose to believe my own memories and that all of this was real. And I, I gotta go back. I, I, I can't do this, I, I gotta go back. And she tries to go back. Unfortunately, there is an entire like border patrol now that exists for the express purpose of preventing that from happening. And she gets caught and now it's a crisis because it's like, holy shit, our daughter tried to run away. This is a big deal it's, and it's like a political issue too because like she was supposed to secure this like other allegiance and now it's like a very offensive to them that she tried to run and they're like what, what's wrong with her and they've got their own kooky fairyologist consultant and this this fairyologist is like I, i'm pretty sure your daughter is under a spell of some sort she, she's under the thrall of the fairy king and so they're like oh we got to cure her and they, they're trying all of these folk remedies to cure her of her affliction 
It's terrible for her. A lot of these things are very uncomfortable, and it doesn't work. And finally, they reach this conclusion, which they don't arrive at lightly because it has very major implications, but they, they conclude that the only way to free her and like restore this thing is to kill the fairy who put the spell on her. That would free her. And so they conclude that essentially they have to go and like murder Rowan. And this is for her, like she's in this nightmare where she can't stop this from happening. Like she's like a prisoner in her own castle and they're now like preparing this expedition. Uh, we're gonna leave them alone for a bit, leave them aside and let's go back and see what's going on with Rowan. So what's going on with Rowan is Rowan is depressed. So Rowan in general is a person who suffers from abandonment issues. Like his mother left under mysterious circumstances, his father left. Now Maud has left and she is, she's been gone for a while. It's, he's like a big ball of anxiety and things seem to be okay. Like the, the border is quiet. He keeps like anxiously sending more and more wolves to that border and the quiet is like unnerving. It's like freaking him out. And he's just like waiting and waiting and fretting and fretting. And one night, you know, he's asleep in his garden. So one of his eccentricities is he generally sleeps outside in his garden and he's like fitfully sleeping. And then he wakes up to the sound of wolves howling. And he's like, oh, oh shit, what's that? And they have, of course, a whole signaling system with the wolves and they're howling. So he gets up and he, he turns in the direction of the, of the sound. And if this, were, if this were a movie or a TV, like you wouldn't see what he's seeing at first, you would see his reaction to it. And he walks up to the edge of the garden and he's looking out in the direction of the howling. And he stops at the edge of his garden. And then you see what he sees, which is that his forest is burning. And he's standing there watching his kingdom burn and in his mind, he's thinking, I fucked up. I fucked up. Damn it, I, 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 knew, I knew it was wrong. I, 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 it's not what dad would have done. And I was, I was stupid and selfish and in love. And I let her talk me into it. And I, I, I knew I shouldn't have. God damn it. Like, and he wraps a fist around one of the bars of the birdcage and he takes just like 10 to 30 seconds and like leans into the pain and just like grieves for the fact that this is happening, for the fact that like Maud has betrayed him as far as he can tell. And then he snaps out of it and he snaps into ice cold like warrior prince mode. He's got shit to do. So he goes and he rounds up his soldiers, rounds up his wolves, he, he's massing them inside his castle. And this whole sequence is like really intense and nonverbal in my, in my mind, but it's got this character of like, gentlemen, we're going to war, follow me, this is happening. And he, he's looking out over these ranks of soldiers and they're looking back at him with these like really serious expressions. And then he turns, runs out, he takes like a running leap, transforms midair, lands as a Rowan beast on the other side. And, and runs off and then behind him, these ranks of soldiers are coming, following him and they fan out into the forest, this loosely organized wolf pack. So Rowan's on the move, he's off to go like fuck him up. 
And meanwhile, with William, William's kind of leading this expedition. He's got his own soldiers. And they had set this fire because their objective in coming here is explicitly to assassinate him. And it's much easier to do that if he's outside his castle. So they set this big, like, fuck you fire to, like, draw him out. And it works, you know? He, they're like, come at me, bro, and he's, he's coming at them. <laughs> and um, I, I want to give you a sense of this battle, this war that's taking place from the perspective of, like, a poor random schmuck in William's army. So think about what you're up against. So you've got this army of wolves. They're as intelligent as humans, and there's a lot of them. They are well-led, well-organized, mission-driven on their home turf. Furthermore, it's not so much that they want you to die. They want you to run. They want you to desert your army and your commanders, run in terror back to your own land, and ideally tell everyone you encounter what a bad time you had in that forest. <laughs> Never go there. Rowan wants to maximize desertions with like minimum casualties for both sides. And he is, they're out there committing like psychological warfare, <laughs> like, like guerrilla attacks. It's, it's full on horror movie, bad times for these people. So this war is waging. Meanwhile, Maud has managed to escape because she's a badass. And she is riding desperately through the forest, breakneck speed. And, and Maud, like this war, like she doesn't want anyone involved in this conflict to be hurt. And she's so afraid for all of them. And she's so ashamed of her, her role, her like accidental role in this happening. And like she promised that it would be okay. She, she didn't want to do it and she persuaded him. And this thing is so important to him and it's important to her too. Like she's fallen in love with this land and she is just like desperate and she rides up, she's like, her horse is all lathered. She, she rides up to this castle and there's this small force of people who are, have remained behind in the castle to defend it. And she charges up and, and they're like, oh, oh, you're back. Like, what? Do you know what's going on? Why are you attacking us? And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I never meant for this to happen. I, like, they, they wouldn't listen and take me hostage again. Like, please just take me hostage again. And they're like, Okay, and they, they take her hostage. Then they send this, um, they, they send messengers out to the battle and they, they send messengers to like both sides and they manage to get through. And the message is essentially like, everyone stop. We've got Maud. Maud is in the castle. This is like a really unexpected blow to William. He's like, what, how? And Rowan's like, what, how? Like, 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 <laughs> and, and Rowan, Rowan's knee-jerk reaction is he really, He's like, oh, she's back. But he wants to believe that she didn't betray him and that she, she was telling the truth. But he doesn't know. Like, is it a trick? Is, maybe it's to get their side to stop fighting. But in any case, for both sides, step one is go and personally verify the information. Like, go see with your own eyes if this is true. So there's like a ceasefire, and they make their way back to the castle. And the drawbridge comes down, and the gates open. And there's Maud, just like they said. And for the human army, for Maud's family, this is like a massive slap in the face. It's, it's, a, it's a huge blow because they, they've taken on this enormous risk. They've lost people in the fighting. They mounted this 
big expedition just to save her, and now it's all for nothing. Now she's given herself up and she's betrayed them and there's nothing they can do about it. So they're like, I, I guess we've lost. And William's like, no, we, we can't abandon her. They're like, we, we've lost. Like, face it, like she, they have her. We're going home. So they go home. But William is not prepared to give up on his sister. And so while everyone else is going home, he manages to hide himself, conceal himself with his like woodscraft. And he doesn't know what he's going to do, but he, he's not ready to give up. And he's hiding, trying to come up with some sort of plan. Meanwhile, Roman's army goes up and she's standing there in the doorway. And there's all these wolves, this big pack of wolves, and they're, many of which are her friends. And they're looking at her with these really serious eyes. And I want to take a moment, highlight, you know, emphasize how brave Maud is being and coming here. Like, her kingdom has committed an act of war against this one. And if they don't believe her about her role in that, then they might kill her. They might still kill her, even if they do believe her. She is putting her life on the line to save these people that she loves. So it's, she's being super brave. But anyway, she's standing there, and then the pack, the ranks part, and Rowan steps through in his beast form, and he walks up, and they're, they're looking at each other from across this drawbridge for like the first time in, in weeks or months. And she sees him, and she kind of, she steps over the threshold outside the war. She reaches out to him, and she's like, hey. And his ears go back, and he's like this wary, untamed, skittish animal right now. Like, he sits back on his haunches and is just watching her. And she's like, I I'm sorry. I, n I never meant for it to happen, but I, I couldn't stay away. I, I had to, they wouldn't listen to me. And, and she can't tell if she's getting through to him. She can't tell if he believes her. And she's so ashamed. She just wants to disappear into like a tiny ball. And all these people, all these wolves, are, they're just watching her and she can't get away from their gaze and she doesn't know what to do. She has no choice, but to, she, she pours her whole heart out to him. And she says, please believe me, I'm sorry. I, I love you. I don't ever want to be apart from you again. Just please believe me, please, please come home. Please come back to me. And Rowan doesn't know what to believe. He's experiencing this internal struggle that's very similar to the struggle that she was experiencing earlier, where there's these, these two narratives, either of which could be true, and he doesn't know what to believe. He doesn't know if it's safe to trust her. And just like with her, in the end, there's no tiebreaker. He just has to choose. It's just as we all have to choose, there's this leap that you take in love. And he starts walking towards her. And as he's walking towards her, he starts turning back into a human. His fur retracts back into his body and his paw comes down and turns into a hand and pushes off the ground and his antlers like drop to the ground and land behind him and he's He's turning back into a human and he reaches her and goes to her and she puts his arms around him 
and squeezes. And from that moment, from that squeeze, this shock wave emanates out. And as it emanates out, the forest is turning back into farms and towns, and the wolves turn back into people. And the spell is lifted. The spell is lifted because Rowan, the prince, has come home to Maud. He's come home to her, like his home was, was her all along. So anyway, the spell is lifted. Yay! <laughs> like, wow! Oh, geez. So people are out of their minds with joy at this development. You know, human day, that party, this is basically human day, but like turned up to 13. And, and, uh, and not just inside the castle, it's everywhere now, because everywhere has been restored. Everyone is like just blowing up <laughs> the kingdom with celebration. And, um, but the story isn't over because like William is still lurking somewhere. And mom, this is a setback for mom because this is, this is not how she imagined the spell breaking. And to her, it's as though she's watching him relive her own mistakes, you know, where she dated this human and it ended badly. And to her, like Maud is now keeping him away from his real home, which is fairy world. And she starts cooking up some sort of scheme to try to break him apart. But anyway, meanwhile, like this like human day festivities are happening and Ronan and Maud kind of steal away into his garden and he's got like a plate of food, as he does. And instead of going out to the ledge this time, they sit down together in the middle of the garden and he's got this fork full of food and he's looking at her and there's this, this nonverbal question, like, is this, is this okay now? And she meets his gaze and she eats his food. And they cross that boundary together and he gets this huge, huge smile and she's trusting him. She's choosing to trust him and they're having this, this meal and he's just like kind of like spoon feeding her and she's humoring him even though it's a little embarrassing. And they're having, they're having this like beautiful trust dinner, this beautiful trust meal, which transitions into beautiful trust sex. Um, they, they, they finally do it. Um, and it's, it's glorious. Anyway, and then afterwards, afterwards he's looking out over the courtyard, looking out over the kingdom at the edge of the garden, and she comes up beside him, and she says, you're allowed to admit it, you know. And he says, admit what? She says, I liked it better as a forest, too. <laughs> he laughs, he's like, yeah, and it's not up to us though, is it? She says, nope. And they have a moment together and then she says, I'm, I'm gonna go rejoin the party, do you wanna come? He says, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe in a bit. And she leaves and she goes back to like the bedroom portion and she's getting ready to go back to the party. And he has, he's alone now at the edge of his garden. And he, he's looking out over these celebrations and then he, he takes his hand and he extends it out past the wards. And whereas before it would have turned into a paw, now it's just a hand. He's, he's lost part of himself. He, he really liked being a beast and 
he's lost it, and it's really sad. And he he's just having a private moment to himself to mourn for that. And then these like raucous sounds are coming up from throughout the kingdom, and it's this really bittersweet thing where he's lost this thing, lost this part of himself, but but he's bought this happiness for these other people, like that, this joy that is before him. This is what he's bought with his sacrifice. And he makes his peace with it. He lets it go. He says, this is, this is worth it. I'm glad this happened. Like, this is what he's always been taught his whole life. And so he, he kind of smiles to himself, and then he starts to go back through his garden to go like rejoin the party, rejoin Maud. And as he's walking through his garden, he hears he hears like a strange sound. He hears like a thrum sound. And he before he even registers that he's heard something, he like jumps. He's got these like instincts. He jumps and he gets shot in the leg by an arrow. He gets shot and he he screams and Maud rushes out. She's like, what what happened? And she sees that he's been shot. She's like, oh that looks bad. Okay, like, lie down, lie down. You'll, you'll be all right. I'll, I'll, I've got you. And Rowan's wounded, and, and he starts screaming. He starts screaming in this incoherent animal agony, this, like, wordless pain. And he, he manages to get out the word, pull it out. And she's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to do that. He says, pull it out. And he grabs the arrow and pulls it out. And now he's bleeding a lot. And she's like, now you've got, uh, uh, calm, calm down, calm down. Just shh, lie down. I, and she starts tearing strips of cloth off of her, her dress and bandaging the wound, trying to stop the bleeding. And she, she's calling for help. It's really hard to be heard over the music. And Rowan is like, Rowan is like lying on his side with his arrow and his fist. And the arrow is covered in his own blood. And then the tip of the arrow, his blood is boiling. This iron broadhead, it's smoking and steaming and, and sputtering. His fairy blood is like boiling upon this arrow. And, he, and he's staring at it and, and, and it doesn't make sense to him. And then meanwhile, like, so a lot of stuff is happening in parallel while this is happening. And of course he got shot because William had managed to infiltrate and find a position on the roof and waited for his moment when Maud was not in the garden anymore. And the moment he gets shot, these roses start growing out of the grounds around the castle. They start like really dramatically climbing the walls of the castle. And meanwhile, all these people who are celebrating the return to humanity, they see this happening and they're like, oh my God, it's the fairies again. Oh, oh no thought we were out of the woods ah and 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 like these roses are growing and growing and they they climb up to the top of the castle to this birdcage and they're they're trying to grow into the castle like these roses are his his mother's magic his mother's influence and she's desperate to reach him like he's hurt and the wards are keeping her out so she's trying to penetrate this space and as the roses grow into the birdcage, they catch on fire. So now there's these burning roses all throughout this birdcage. And she's trying desperately to reach him. She's trying to grow faster than she can burn. And she's making some headway, but not a lot. 
And, and meanwhile, so Rowan is watching his blood boil, and then he sees these roses burning, this like dome of roses burning. And he puts two and two together. And he realized, he has this enormous epiphany. He realizes, oh my God, mom wasn't taken by fairies. Mom is a fairy. And I'm half fairy and it explains so much. It explains so much. And this weird outsidery feeling he's had his entire life makes sense for the first time. And he knows for the first time who he is. He's aware of both sides of himself. And it's, it's huge, the truth. It's huge. It's validating. It's earth-shaking. And he, he lets the arrow drop from his hand. And he, he recognizes, finally, that these roses, that they represent his mother, he recognizes her. And he reaches out. And as he does that gesture, the, this anti-magic field, this fourth field, the, the wards that are keeping her out, they shatter because he's inviting her in. He's letting her in. And the roses come exploding into the garden and they're reaching out to him and he's holding his hand out to her and they start growing all down his fingers and his arms, like wrapping him, holding him. And previously in the story, they've been like this sinister, brambly, thing but in this moment they're like tender and green and now his body is like covered in flowers and there's this one rose that's in the palm of his hand this one rose that's blooming supernaturally beautiful rose that's blooming for him and he's in too much pain to speak but what's going on inside his mind is hey mom I've, I've missed you I've missed you so much it's it's so good to see you again and in her side of it she's freaking out because her her child's been shot with iron which for a fairy is real bad news but she's hanging on desperately she, she's like he'll be fine he, he'll be okay he's human he's human he's just like his father he's He's going to rule this kingdom. He's going to marry this girl. He's, he's going to, he, he'll, he'll survive this. He's human, he's human, he's human. He'll, he'll be all right. And meanwhile, Maud, while this is happening, she feels like those words shatter. She sees these roses coming in, and it's like this unexplainable magical thing. But she's like, oh, deal with that later. Like she, um, right, right, right now she, she, she's got to like bind up his wound. She, she needs to stop the bleeding. So she's hyper, hyper focused on bandaging him, on saving him. And meanwhile, Rowan is having this moment with his rose. And everything about this moment, like the music, the everything is, is telling you that this is a profoundly happy moment for him. That he is finally at peace with himself. He's finally at peace with both parts of himself. He's finally reunited with his mother, whom he hasn't seen since he was three, and that he's missed so much. It's this amazing, happy moment for him. And then, as he's having this moment, his hand relaxes and goes limp on the ground, and the tension leaves his body, and the light leaves his eyes. And Rowan dies.
the moment that happens, all motion ceases. So up until now, there's all this motion where all the roses are like growing so, so desperately and, and so vigorously, and then all of a sudden they, they stop and everything is still and everything is silent. And then this rose that is in his hand shrivels up and wilts and drops its petals. And now all over his body, these roses are wilting and all over the birdcage, there's this soft weeping rainfall of rose petals coming down over this space. And Maud, Maud is still working on his leg. She's still bandaging him and she hasn't realized, it's not until like the roses start falling down and start like covering the ground that she realizes that something has changed. And she looks at him and, and she sees it, but doesn't see it at the same time. Like it, it, it makes no sense. Like he, he, he should be fine. Like she'd stop the bleeding. Like he, he, and she's looking at him. She goes, hey, 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 look at me, look at me. And, and, and now, now she's got this rising panic. It doesn't make sense. Like, was he hurt somewhere else? Did she, did she miss some, something? And she, she starts frantically searching his body, trying to find where else was he hurt. And, and then as she's searching, then she sees this arrow and it's still smoking and she picks it up and she's trying to understand what it means. And then meanwhile, William has managed to fight his way through the roses, managed to like climb to the garden and push his way through. And, and he's coming up to her and he's like, hey, hey, Maude, are you all right? And, and she's holding this arrow and she looks at him and she's like, what, what did you do? He says, it's, it's all over now, it's okay, you're, you're free, you're, you're, you're safe now, like, come with me. And, and she, she's staring at him, she, she's confused, she doesn't understand what's happened. And he says, Maud, he's dead, he can't hurt you anymore, all right? Come home, it's, t it's time to go home. And she's staring at him and she goes, what did you do? She throws it at him and now she turns back to Roan and now it's finally landing for her that Roan is gone. And she starts crying and freaking out and grieving in earnest. And, and William's watching her and he doesn't understand, like she should be free now. That's what, the, that's what all the stories said, like the spell should have been broken. And he, he comes up and he, he's trying to figure out like, is, is it a trick? Like, what's wrong and he comes up and he like reaches down to see to see if Rowan's actually dead or if this is some other magic and as he does that Maud, Maud says go away go, go, go away don't touch him and she she shoves him away she's got this terrible terrible fury in her eyes and he's looking at her his sister whom he loves so much and she She's got this terrible fury, and then she crumples, and she lies down next to Rowan. She pulls him into her arms, and as she's mourning, William is watching her, and he, 
he realizes slowly that this was real and, and she wasn't under a spell and that these were two people who were genuinely in love with each other and he realizes what he's done. And he tries to tell her that he's sorry, but it's too late. Meanwhile, so mom and dad are in fairy world and mom, so losing a child is supposed to be the worst emotional pain that you can have. And her, her grief, her enormous grief breaks the spell that dad's been living under because it makes no sense in the context of this illusion, it makes no sense, this, this enormous, overwhelming grief. And poor dad, like this incredibly harsh awakening that he has, like he'd been living this false paradise. And now the illusion lifts and he remembers that his whole family, his parents, his siblings, they all died. And he remembers this falling out that he had with his wife. And, and he remembers, oh my God, Rowan, like he, how long has it been? He's, all, he's been all alone. And mom has no choice but to admit to him what's happened. And they've got this enormous shared grief together. And you might expect that, it would, that this would drive them apart, but in this paradoxical way. So this conflict they had with each other, they, each of them had, had, this, had been so attached to like a particular life, a particular outcome, like it was so important to them that they, that Rowan live a certain way and that they not lose him to the other parent. And now in, the, in light of what's happened, all those things seem so small and so unimportant. Like I, I've realized I don't care. Like even if I never saw him again, that it would it'd be okay. I just, I just want him to be alive again somewhere. And, and so in that letting go, they're able to understand each other. They're able to fully integrate like both of their worldviews and talk and reconcile in a way that they've never been able to before. And it's not like a, like a fake, like this false reconciliation they had before. It's, it's like true and deep. And despite everything, despite everything that's happened, like at one level, they still love each other, but they, they can't be together because dad has to go home. Like dad has to go home to his kingdom. And in this moment, they let go of each other. They let go of this possessive energy that they've had towards each other, their entire relationship. And they say goodbye. You know, they love each other, but they can't be together. He has to go home. So dad rocks up. He's, he's been missing now for years. And everyone had given up on him. Everyone thought he was gone forever except Rowan. And so everyone is like really stunned to see him. They all react like he's a ghost. And he finds Maud. He, he kind of heard parts of the story from mom because she'd seen it. And he knows who Maud is. He finds her. And when Maud sees him, like she's never met him before, obviously, so when she first sees him, he and Rowan very strongly resemble each other. So when she first sees him, it's like seeing Rowan is back from the dead. And then she realizes that it's not him. And 
it's someone new, and he introduces himself. He's like, I, they, they tell me that you buried my son. And they have a conversation. And they catch each other up on essentially everything we know, all these parts of the story. They share that with each other. And in this winding down, there's this letting go that happens. So mom and dad, they let each other go. And then William, William was expecting to be like put to death because of what he did, but what they do instead is they say, you're gonna go back, you're going to explain the truth, and they're gonna listen to you, and you're gonna see to it that there's, there's peace between the kingdoms. And the price is you also have to explain that Maud is not coming home again. She's never coming home. So there's this, this letting go and for him, it's like death would have been better. Like he, there's like a heroism to that. He kind of accepted it. And instead it's like this, his sister whom he loves so much and whom he's hurt so terribly and there's nothing he can do to make it right. And so he, he has to let her go. But then the sort of happier side of all of this is there's peace now. There's, there's peace between William's kingdom and their kingdom and this fairy realm and this human realm which have been at war with each other for for years they they arrive at like a true peace with each other and the kingdom starts experiencing lots of random good luck and prosperity and so far in the story the fairy stories that have been alive in this world have been like the fairy stories about like sinister dangerous fairies but there's also all these classic folklore tales about helpful, benevolent fairies and positive magic. And those stories start to come alive now in this kingdom. And this kingdom is now forever touched, forever tinged with magic. And that's Rowan's legacy to his kingdom. That's what was bought with his sacrifice. And then finally, at the very, at the very end, there's this moment where dad is, he's going out onto the grounds to visit his family graveyard and the groundskeeper apologizes. He's like, this all happened so recently, we haven't had time yet to carve proper like, grave markings for him. And he says, like, don't worry about that, I'll, I'll find him. And he's walking through this graveyard and he's one by one, he's passing the graves of every person who died to make him king, his parents, and his brothers and his sisters. And then finally, at the very end of the row, there's freshly dug grave, unmarked, but just completely overgrown with wild roses. And as he approaches the, the roses, they kind of retreat a bit. They retract and they make a space for him. They allow a space for him. And he sits down. And he sinks his fingers into the freshly dug soil. And, and he, he says, hey, kid. Hey, buddy. It's dad. I have come home. He's having his moment of grief there. And then meanwhile, his, his wife is there in the roses, and his son is there in the earth. And this entire story, these three characters, in their own way, they've been on this 
mission to try to reunite with each other, to try to find each other again and try to be a family together again. And now they're separated across these uncrossable chasms between worlds. They can never be together again. But then in another sense, in this moment, this visual moment with this king and these roses and the earth, they are together. And meanwhile, meanwhile, like the, the kingdom's at peace, the sun is shining, birds are singing. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. That's the end of the story. <laughs>